Welcome to Changes in Latitudes, a Transgender Experience. A 40-something trans woman shares her observations, life stories, and the adventures of her journey through transition and beyond. And now, here she is, your host... Sabrina Miller. <laughs> Yay! Hello, hello, hello! Welcome back! Changes in latitudes, let's dance it off with that band! Go! Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Let's keep it going, let's keep it going! That was Green Grapes and the Fermentation Choir! I know, I know, I know. Some are great, some are not so great. And in this case, not so great. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I'm just feeling in a great mood. We're at episode 50. Woohoo! Now, for longtime listeners and binge listeners and new listeners right now, um, well, new listeners, you're not going to know, but longtime listeners, binge listeners, you folks. You might remember way back in the day of uh, episode 30 or so, I said something like, uh, I don't know, and I'm not going to go back and replay it. It's not a clip show, this, folks. No, 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 no. But I said something along the lines of, hey, every podcast needs to get to at least episode 50 because that's when they really start running. And I'll tell you, I feel like running. This is monumental. And I'm so happy that you're here to join me with it. Episode 50. Wow. All right. Ah, thanks for coming back, folks. Thanks for joining us, you new time listeners. Welcome to this crazy skateboarding journey on a cross country bicycle ride of a stream of consciousness podcast. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. It just it happened. Hey, stream upon st- stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Stream of consciousness. That's it. <laughs> All right, so this episode, if you could guess from the title, uh, we have a conversation with Meredith and Ellen. And last episode, I said, you know, it was a, a couple. One of them's a trans woman. Uh, lovely, lovely people. Uh, they are doing so many wonderful things for the trans community, uh, specifically in here in San Diego, because that's where they reside. But I can see their impact, their work having such an impact on the world. And we'll talk about that later. Um, I know in the last episode I said that we're going to have a new thing taking over the 30 question challenge. Uh, for new time listeners, you're not for new time listeners. I guess that's a combination of first time and new listeners. Uh, you folks, this is your first episode. You have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'll tell you what you're missing. In the past 50 episodes, in 30 of them, I answered The Transgender 30 Question Challenge, or 30-Day Challenge as it's called, because it's supposed to be more like a blog or a Facebook update. But I took it to another level, and I made it a podcast topic within my podcast show. So somewhere in the last 50 episodes, not the episodes with guests, because we skipped it, 
but in other episodes, I answered 30 of those. Well, this is the first, well, supposed to be the first episode with a new something, but because it's a conversation, we're not going to have that new something. Uh, next episode, we will come back to the 25 valuable tidbits from famous women. I'm excited to scare, to, <laughs> I'm excited to scare that with you. Jesus Christ. I'm excited to, s- <laughs> I'm excited to share that with you. Uh, but we're not going to do it this episode. Also, we're going to skip the uh, secondary topic that I'd like to throw in there, only because this is a conversation, and I don't want to break it up too much, nor do I want the episode to go on forever. But we will have a little bit of listener feedback. <laughs> now, before we get to any of that, all that stuff that's coming up, let's talk briefly about last week's episode, number 49, uh, titled it Body Modification Versus Being Transgender. And I realized in the editing process and, and after I recorded it that I went on a little bit too much and kind of repeated myself. So if if that bothered you, I'm sorry it happens. It's stream of consciousness, folks. You're going to get it, especially on a one-sided conversation. <laughs> but the point I wanted to drive home, which is why I repeated it, is cosmetic surgery is not a extemporaneous thing for people, trans people specifically. It is a life or death thing that trans people, some trans people, need to survive. So, with that, go back and listen to for the full episode, but with that, when it comes time to, to renegotiate and talk about insurance things where you have input, let them know that transgender care needs to be, must be, a top priority right now in 2015 and, you know, shortly thereafter. Because, yeah, I know to some people, a breast augmentation is just, oh, she's going to get her tits bigger. No, not for a transgender person. It's not. It's something that makes them feel complete and whole about themselves. And not all trans women desire to have breast augmentation. It just so happens that most do because of the body that they started out with. But not everyone. But to those that need it, that's life or death. That's all I'm saying. So put that out to the insurance people and do what you can to help the trans community. And I guarantee that the moment the insurance companies take that into consideration and make those operations and procedures affordable or completely covered, I guarantee I guarantee the suicide rate in our trans community, my community, our community, will drop tremendously. Because for some, those are life and death operations and procedures. So, enough about that. That's episode 49. You can go back to Changes in Latitudes podcast at blogspot.com. That's kind of where I'm housing everything right now. Uh, We're also over on iTunes and Stitcher. You can search us out there by the name Changes in Latitudes podcast. Well, not podcast, but Changes in Latitudes, a transgender experience. If you use iTunes or Stitcher, give us a thumbs up or a rating or a share or something. It really helps. It really, really does help. We also have a Facebook page. Facebook is so much fun. It's facebook.com slash changes in latitudes podcast. Find us there. I interact with you folks. I share things that I find interesting. It's just tons of fun. Join us over there. And I get back to people pretty quickly through the Facebook page I've discovered in these past 50 episodes. But you could also email me if that's your style. Changes in latitudes podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I don't have one for the show. It's me and the show together. At Sabrina Miller 41 And 
We also have our Patreon page. I know I went on about it last episode because it is such a wonderful thing. Uh, this episode, I'm just going to briefly talk about it. Patreon.com slash Changes in Latitudes podcast. It's like Kickstarter. It's like GoFundMe, but better and made for people like myself that put out a podcast or something creative every week on a consistent basis because it's free to listen to, but it's only semi-free to put together. And that free is time. And I love doing it. I love sharing it with you folks, but it, it, time is, it, time is consumed. It's just part of the process to be able to create this thing that I give to you. So if you could give back, that's, that makes it so fulfilling, so fulfilling. And this episode, episode number 50 is brought to you by a friend of mine, Becky. Thank you so much for supporting the show through Patreon. You're awesome, Becky. You know that. We've talked. But publicly, I'm telling you, you are amazing and awesome. So thank you so, so much. Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Changes in Latitudes podcast. In a nutshell, you contribute what you can within your monthly budget. Plus for that... You get the sh- the new sh- newest show a couple days early, and I'm working really hard to make that couple days a full week. So, people that are Patreon uh, pledgers, you'll get the episode a week before the rest of the world. Kind of the easiest thing I can do to say thank you. Right now, it's one to two days because just just my life schedule. But my goal, my goal, my goal is to make it at least a week difference publishing. So. That's just my way to say thanks. And then there's a bunch of other stuff I'm going to do. We're going to Periscope. We're going to Skype. We, we can be friends on Facebook at a certain level. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Changes in Latitudes podcast. It's like being uh, a patron of the arts, like from back in Leonardo da Vinci's time, only now. That's all. Check it out. All right, here we are. Main topic. Main topic. This week we have a conversation with Meredith and Ellen. These two lovely, lovely ladies are uh, working on, well, creating, essentially, the website transnarratives.org. And it's a project documenting uh, stories of transgender people, specifically in San Diego, because that's where everybody re- lives. <laughs> Meredith and Ellen live in the San Diego area. People they interview live in the San Diego area. And I had the honor of participating in that project. So as soon as I know more information and it's up on their site, I will share it with you. But after they interviewed me, I turned the table around. Well, actually, I just pulled up my recording equipment and we all sat down and talked. And it was just a wonderful uh, sharing of stories and conversation. And it was just, it was lovely. So this was recorded July 3rd, 2015, and it's a couple months late. Yeah, well, that's just the editing process and the approval process and all that wonderful stuff that goes on behind the scenes of a podcast. Uh, We were in the rehearsal room of a uh, local LGBT uh, uh, theater here in the San Diego area. And if you're not familiar with rehearsal rooms, it's it's a step above an NPR, a multi-purpose room, but it's not much of anything because it needs to morph and change dependent upon what is being rehearsed there. If it's a, a dance number or an intricate show or some elaborate 
something, right? So it's a large open space that, be can, that can be changed and altered to suit the rehearsal process. Well, we were there in the middle of their in-between time, so there wasn't really anything set up. Uh, as, you know, maybe a couple chairs and things like that, but no sets or anything like that. But by nature, those rooms are kind of echoey. So there's a couple points you'll hear uh, some echoes going on, hollow sounds, really. And sometimes that, that bothers people. Sometimes it doesn't. So I'm just letting you know up front that that might be there. I did what I could to, to clean it up. I, I, you know, I put effort into it. But things happen. It's a live conversation. The number one reason I wanted to share this story and why I asked Meredith to begin with was because Meredith transitioned long before uh, any sort of support, public support, was in place. She was a trendsetter. She she did it in the seventies, and it's it's an amazing it's an amazing tale. And right up front here, Meredith, I'm going to say thank you so much, uh, and Ellen too, of course for sitting down and continuing our day that was already a little bumpy, <laughs> you know what I mean, to to take the time and, and share this, this oh, I don't know, I think it was a total of 90 minutes, but, uh, you know, I cut it down to whatever you're about to hear, an hour or so, and it was just lovely, and I want to say to both of you up front, thank you so much, your, it's, your story is so inspiring for so many levels, not just trans, so... Without any further delay, here are the lovely, the wonderful Meredith and Ellen. Well, welcome to my show. This is this is just amazing. I have with me Meredith and Ellen. Yes, did I get it right? I got it right. Yes, I've been messing up her name all afternoon. Um, uh, with me here, uh, we just finished recording for the Lambda Archives, the uh, tra- transnarrative dot org series. Uh, I'm proud to be part of that, so I'm excited to uh, to have that out when that happens. And I'm also very excited to have you on my show. And only today did I really learn more about you. So let's introduce each other. Meredith, introduce okay. yourself. My name is Meredith Vizina, um, a 63-year-old trans woman. Oh, I'm sorry. My- <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Go ahead. My name is, and I'm Ellen Boltzman, uh, a 60-year-old cis woman. And Meredith and I are married. We've been together over 20 years, and we're legally married uh, in October, two years ago, 2013. Yay, congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Uh, Well, let's start with Meredith. (laughs) However you want to sum up your story as far as learning you were transgender and making the decision to transition and how that was because you've you've been transitioned for quite a while from what i understand right so this is like going to be like four or five hours right (laughs) in a nutshell if if we could go that long we could um what sparked my transition i mean i think that very much like many many other trans people you know i've always felt um that there was something wrong in terms of my body and I always desired to be um, with the women when I was young. Um, I knew it was the messages that I received were negative messages so I kind of 
learned to hide it, but nevertheless, that desire was always there. Um, there were many of many times when I cross-dressed secretly, uh, but like many other trans people, I thought it was just kind of fleeting and that I could keep this under control. Uh, I did get married uh, back in the mid-1970s, uh, lived in uh, Burlington, Vermont, uh, was, uh, um, went to school there. What can I say other than what clicked in me and, and made me decide to do all this was Renee Richards. Uh, in 19, I think it was 1977, it was actually out here in, in La Jolla where Renee Richards uh, played in the tennis match and then won the tennis match and was outed as being trans and when it hit the news um, and I saw Renee Richards, I said, this is what I have to do. It was something, it was just almost like a um, you know, I was struck by, by lightning, and from that point on, it was a matter of um, going on my journey, leaving Vermont. Um, the, the woman that I was married to at the time uh, was a good woman, was okay with my cross-dressing, was okay with um, the things that I wanted to do as long as I was in private, but when I expressed to her that I wanted to transition and become a woman, uh, she was okay with it, but she said, I'm not a lesbian. And, and that pretty much ended that relationship, and that's when I came out west here. And about how old were you? Where, where, what part of your life were I you was in? 27. Okay, so late 20s, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I first moved to um, Tucson, Arizona. The reason I moved to Tucson is because I was on my way out to actually San Francisco. And coming the southern route and was driving across country, got to Tucson, got enamored with the desert, just fell in love with the saguaro cactus. And being from back east, I've never only seen it in pictures, and it was just such a wonderful area that I ended up staying there. Um, and that's really when I started my transition was in Tucson. And I got a job with a company that ended up transferring me out to San Diego. So, wow, all right. And since that was so long ago, quote unquote, uh, meaning that there were just there was no word transgender, yeah. there was limited to nothing as far as resources. We had telephones. Yeah, yeah, telephones, telephones, and radio. Right. Maybe some television too. Yeah. Um, did how challenging was that? first few steps back when there was no resources. I mean, really, resources. Um, like we had like I had discussed with you in, in, in my interview with you, uh, one of the things that I did in Vermont, I went to the university library and spent hours and hours going through medical journals. Um, just looking at all kinds of medical journals to try to figure out what was going on. And so that, that helped a little bit, at least that defined for me um, that there was, that I wasn't nuts, you know? I think that's probably one of the biggest things is in finding information, at least for me, is that you aren't finding out that you aren't crazy or aren't a deviant or aren't right. wrong, right. evil. Right, because yeah. you, at the time you think you're the only person in the world that thinks this way, you know, and you're going, whoa, what is going on here? Why do I keep having this obsession with wanting to be female, you know? Right. 
Right. And, 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 and you try to suppress it, and it doesn't go away, and you're ashamed of it, and it doesn't go away. And, and, and so, so the journals helped, at least it helped to identify what was going on. And, and my journey was, um, uh, in Tucson, I got my name legally changed and um, ended up moving to San Diego simply because I got transferred out here and people said, come to San Diego. In San Diego, I got involved in a, uh, there was a, a gender dysphoria uh, uh, group that was going on through UCSD at the time. This was back in, I think, 1978 and was part of that group. And there was maybe about 10 or 12 people in the group. I think about maybe eight trans women, a couple of trans men. And we were all part of um, uh, going through the process where you had to live as a woman for a couple of years and they would put you on hormones and they would monitor what was going on and you'd go and see psychiatrists and psychologists and so it was a whole uh, procedure. That yeah, you had the Benjamin standards back then, there you up go. until there you go. What, I never really four or five years ago. Them as Benjamin standards, but nevertheless, there were these standards. That right. they, that well, that's what they, they became to be known as. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, see, I couldn't imagine um, having to, in, in, in finding yourself, having to do it by someone else's rules. And that was another fear for me in my coming out and wanting to transition because for a long time, I was okay with the balance of doing it every once in a while. Have fun now, have fun later, whatever it was. Until that stopped being the release that it was. So, yeah, I couldn't, I don't know if I could have transitioned uh, mentally to get to the point of saying, yes, I want to transition if the Benjamin standards were still in uh, place. Mm -hmm. Well, I found it very frustrating because I had been living, you know, in Tucson as a woman. I had a job as a woman. I was, uh, you know, passing and and privileged in in that respect and, and was, felt like, their procedures were holding me back. And yes. uh, to make a long story short, I badgered them and uh, I found a, uh, a physician up in the Los Angeles area that would, uh, uh, was performing sex reassignment surgeries and I was able to get them. Finally, they wanted to get rid of me, so they said, okay, we'll give you the letter you need and the documentation that you need. And I was off to uh, Los Angeles and pretty much that was it in terms of a gender dysphoria clinic. Hmm. Amazing. And so, when when was that? What about what year time? I mean, when when would you say specifically full time was what? Not necessarily HRT or uh, full time gen- as a woman was in nineteen seventy seven. Seventy seven. Okay. And you were able to get to Los Angeles and have your uh, corrective surgery when? Um, Seventy nine. Wow! Within two years. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a case of the noisiest wheel gets the grease. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think I would have had that gumption. And I think one of the interesting things, looking back on it, um, that I think people are always surprised, I had the whole thing paid for by insurance. Back then? Mm-hmm. Was it just the company you were with? You know, I'm not sure the history of what was going on, but I think back in the 70s, there were insurance companies that were paying for it. If you had the documentation from the from the psychiatrist and everything like that, they would they would pay for it. I think in the eighties things changed. That made a lot of things changed in the eighties. 
too many things. And I was a kid at the time, and even then I noticed so many things changing. But, um, okay, so wow, you you were one of the first trendsetters, we might say. Well, no, I don't think I was a trendsetter by any imagination, because when I did get my surgeries, um, I pretty much went stealth. Well, I think that was probably the goal back then. It was. It was what everyone strived to do. You wanted to blend in. Yeah. You didn't want to stand out. Right. And uh, that's what I did. I presented I presented myself as a lesbian because I still, I, I, I always was attracted to women. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so I, for many, many years, um, before I met Ellen, I hung out with lesbians and, and uh, was accepted as a lesbian. That's how I lived my life. And then when I met Ellen, um, who's a lesbian, we moved pretty much out of the lesbian community into a more heterosexual cis area up in, up in the mountains, and we presented ourselves again as two lesbians and were accepted that way as two lesbians. So it really wasn't until 2013 that I came out. And why did you come out? Um, I guess all the publicity surrounding Laverne Cox and Janet Mock and everyone telling you to live an authentic life and uh, it was just um, something... It's very difficult to live stealth. Uh, You can't be who you are. Really? Um, I always give the example to people of... I was a good baseball player. I played on the varsity team up at the University of Vermont when I was a freshman, so I was pretty talented that way. Uh, And when we were at dinner parties and stuff, and the guys were talking about their baseball or whatever they did and stuff, you can't talk about that. You have to just keep quiet. You can't talk about the things that you've done in the first 25 years of your life. And all of the, or if you do, you got to pretend. Well, I played softball instead of baseball because then you give it away if you say baseball. Right, right. And it may not seem hard to do one day, but to continually do that is, is stressful. Would you say now, just because you have the experience of stealth and now out, and you also had a pretty good length of time? Uh, well, as it's been phrased by others, trying to fit in into your birth gender. Um, would you say that the being stealth and trying to you know reword your past, would you find that equal or uh, harder than someone who isn't out yet, someone who's still in the closet where they're keeping that secret? It's apples and oranges to a degree. Being in the closet and keeping that secret, too, is extremely stressful. I mean, trans people live under stress no matter which way they go, you know? Because when you're out, then you're dealing with people in society that are not accepting you. Then when you're in the closet, there's the, the stress of... Hiding your clothes, keeping it a secret from people, making sure you not have makeup on, you know, all kinds of stuff, and and being totally, totally so nervous about the fact that someone's going to discover, you know. Um, So uh, there isn't, uh, you know, I don't want to be coy about it, but it doesn't seem like there's any answer in terms of what's better, you know. What's it's easier? it's one or the other. Yeah, yeah. And when you don't have to hide behind that, 
I can sense that it's a lot more freeing. It's there's a, there, there's a certain amount of, of liberation to it, you know? There's a certain amount of being able to be who you are and knowing that people, you don't have to be careful around people. You can um, pretty much, um, you know, have interchanges with them based on who you really are. Right. It's important. And talk sports. Or, you know, for example, when I was growing up, uh, my dad's a carpenter, and he taught me a lot about carpentry, and I have those skills, and so to be able to express those skills and not worry about it, before I, I, when I expressed them, it was always, you know, kind of like, oh, well, my dad never had a boy, and he Mm. had this little girl, and you know, and I built this whole story around why I was good with tools, but, you know... (laughs) And, and not that the story is is unheard of. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's, but but again, you're lying about everything. Yeah, you know? and it's hard. In in your now you've you've transitioned. You're you're living as a lesbian. In your before Ellen uh, relationships, did you ever uh, come out to them? In any of your previous relationships from the time you came out until the time you met Ellen? I mean, or did you just leave the people that I, to the people you were oh, in no, relationship no. Anybody with? Anybody that I was with, with um, on an intimate basis. Yes, yes. Uh, I came out. Okay. Um, I was with this woman for about five years in a, in a lesbian relationship. And she knew, but nobody else knew. Right, right. Well, that's, that's, that's what I would expect. Yeah. Regarding intimate relations... You know, I never went and introduced myself and said, hey, I'm trans, or hey, I'm a transsexual. I mean, I went on dates with people and, and you know, was with stealth then. But anybody that I got serious with, um, I told them. Okay. Um, so, now that kind of brings us up to how did you meet Ellen? Ellen, go ahead. How did you guys meet? Okay, so... Um, I owned a teensy tiny little newspaper out in uh, the back country in Alpine. And Meredith had started a museum called the Gaskill Brothers Stone Store Museum out in Campo, which is about, what, maybe 30 miles from Alpine? Mm -hmm. Okay. So as the newspaper owner, I went out to uh, various, you know, events and... um, uh, Meredith was giving uh, a talk uh, at some at an event about uh, a fundraiser that that she was involved with, and so I uh, somebody had said to me, you know, Meredith knows all about the history of the back country. That's because Meredith's master's degree in history was uh, about. Uh, Campo and the surrounding communities and their history over the period of a hundred years. So they said, you know, for your newspaper, you could certainly use somebody writing about the history of the area. And I said, oh, yeah. So I went out there, listened to her give a talk, um, went up and introduced myself. She thought I was a pushy little broad. And (laughs) and I thought she was a, well, the same. (laughs) And um, and, uh, I invited her to start writing for my newspaper and thus was born a wonderful relationship. I was... Uh, not uh, at the time I was married, and um, probably a year later, I think something like that, was uh, got getting a divorce, huh? 
And so I asked Meredith if she would take my place on the newspaper. My husband wanted to keep the newspaper, and I wanted to leave. So I said to Meredith, hey, why don't you become the editor of the newspaper? And um, when we we told her how much we could afford to pay, she said, no. (laughs) Um, And basically, from that beginning, a a very strong friendship, and thereafter, uh, a romantic friendship. Ensued, and that the year for that would have been 1990, 91, 91 maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And since it started off as uh, friends, coworkers, um, how long did that last before something romantic kind of went? Three, Ding. Days. Three days. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked that because uh, the woman who was my wife, uh, she and I knew each other through our theater circle friends for four years. And the only reason we got together is because we did, did a show together. And we had time to spend with one another. And that's when I went, huh, you're very interesting. And that's where our romance led. Um, I would say that, like I said, Meredith was writing a column mm-hmm. for <laughs> my newspaper. And so I was editing her column. And, and it, pretty much that was the only uh, relationship that we had for most of that year. But during that time period, my, um, uh, my marriage was disintegrating. And when I knew that I was going to be divorced, and I went to her and said, hey, how about taking over? And then she said, and so for a period of a couple of months there, we worked very closely together as I was supposedly training her to take my place. And um, I think it was through that time period that we became close and very quickly became more than friends. And that's lasted now 20-something years. Yeah, like... 23 years from then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And uh, earlier, I don't know if you said it on mic, but you were married in 2013, you said? 2012? Um, Legally married. Legally married, yes, yes. But you had a... uh, 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 What's the word? We, we uh, were first. Um, we had a holy union. I think it's called. Or not holy. It was a commitment ceremony. Is what they like to call it. at the um, Unitarian Church in Hillcrest. Okay, wonderful. And how long ago was that? Ninety three. Oh wow! Shortly after you guys uh, got together, then. That's right. Oh, because that's in, wonderful. In nineteen, the end, very end of nineteen ninety two, we sold the newspaper. Okay. Because. Uh, my husband could not run it by himself, and um, and Meredith and I uh, ended up moving out of Campo, right. and um, uh, it, it, so a few months after that, uh, we went ahead and had our commitment ceremony. Right. So we knew pretty pretty well almost immediately. That's wonderful. That mm-hmm. is that is so wonderful when stories like that happen. Um, okay, so when and how did uh, Meredith come out to you? Since you already had that working friendship relationship, and, and now I'm assuming from internally things start to, to come up to the surface, and you're like, oh, you're very interesting. So what was that, uh, what was that like? Well, when Meredith came out to me, we were already in love, or I was already in love. Um, and I knew that I was that, that Meredith was going to be a special part of my life. I didn't know exactly what form that was going to take, but but I knew that. 
And so we were sitting in a car, we were getting, we were driving somewhere, and she's telling me, and I'm sitting next to her because she's, as always, she's the one who's driving. And um, she burst into tears. And for me, it was like, oh, okay, I guess that explains a few things about you. And um, okay, you know, I, I, I remember that Meredith had always been a woman to me. So it didn't, it just didn't, I didn't care uh, what she was like or, you know, before that. And and Meredith, as she's often said to me, she was the same person then as she was after transition. That hadn't really changed. Um, But it wouldn't have mattered because, like I said, I'd only known her as a woman. And that's who I came to love. And since I had a preference for women, it just made it easier, I guess you could say. But it, it was like, okay, that's fine. Um, where are we going for lunch? <laughs> well, by that time, you had already, as you said, uh, fallen in love and something like that. That was just history, water under the bridge. Uh, personally, I don't see how that could affect uh, a situation, a relationship like that. I, I don't, because it doesn't change anything in the now, right. except for some, some knowledge about a person's past, which in a relationship you always want to find out about. Tell me, tell me about your growing up and whatever. That's part of the courting. Exactly. And exactly. so, yeah, I can see. I think that one of the things that people don't understand beyond just the, oh, I'm in love with someone stuff, When Meredith said it was hard for her to be living stealth, I didn't truly understand what that meant, okay? Um, And it was only over the period of many years that I came to understand what a terribly stressful, difficult thing it was for her. And there were times over those years where I said, well, you want to come out? And she always said, no, no, this is, this is fine, this is good for me. So I just accepted it instead of really thinking about it and thinking about what part I was playing in her fears and feelings about living more authentically. And that's something I regret. I really do. But um, I can tell you that she's a lot happier now. In the last uh, two years since you've come out versus the 21 years together before that. Wow. Yes. Wow. So the audience can see what I look like now. (laughs) See me before. (laughs) You'd see a big difference. Now you're seeing me as I am. That's wonderful. It is a freeing and liberating thing to not have to hide anything. Whether it's a stealth past or uh, the ridicule of wanting to dress in clothing of the opposite gender or whatever the case may be, or liking someone of the same gender, whatever it is, it is just liberating to not have to hide behind that. Yes. So I can, I can see that, uh, what you're saying. Uh, okay. 
So, so you continue your life, and now it comes up to 2013, and, and you have a ceremony, and you come out, and now you seem to be very active in the uh, trans community, at least in specifically the sense of the trans narrative yeah. project. Well, you know, before I came out, I won't tell you, um, I spent six months researching, trying to try just every night um, on the internet and just trying to bring myself up to speed because mm -hmm. I totally lost contact with the trans community. But, yeah. And being a historian, before I got back in, I wanted to make sure, you know, I was at least a little bit knowledgeable about what was going on. Well, that makes sense. Show on television. Right, of course, that makes sense. So after doing that, um, we had the opportunity because I saw a little post somewhere on the internet that they were looking for people to help out with train the first trans pride and that was last uh, 2014 yeah. uh, last summer so we, we went down and, and Ellen and I were on the first trans pride committee we did that and that was really great I mean I was just it was I, I would say it's one of the highlights of my life in terms of being with so many trans people um, since then we basically uh, started a, a group called Trans Elders um, because we feel like there's a, there's a need, um, you know, the emphasis is, is uh, on youth and older people, I think, have different needs, even if it's just to socialize. Oh, yeah. So, so we started this monthly uh, breakfast group called Trans Elders. And I guess my passion has been um, the trans narratives. We've been, uh, Ellen and I together, have been doing interviews now since last October. And we've, I think, done about 23 interviews with people, uh, on-camera interviews. And we started a website called Trans Narratives. We're working under the auspices of Lambda Archive, which uh, is, you know, been encouraging us to do these things because Lambda Archive is the LGBT repository here in San Diego for <clears throat> all the lesbian, gay, transgender artifacts, newspaper articles, photographs. Well, when we got here, we, we, we discovered that there wasn't really a transgender side to the LGBT um, archives. That, that, that makes sense because the whole goal before is stealth. Only in the last uh, four or five years has even tr just being transgender been in the in the, the uh, colloquialism. Right. You know, it's in the news. It's it's in TV shows. It's just now starting to become uh, something that's talked about. So there's no surprise that there is no history behind it. But I'm so happy that there is now. Very happy. Well, people will, I think, be more appreciative 20 years from now. Yes, know? yes. And I think what we're building now, because we're going out and we're covering as many events as we can. Um, we're going to, um, uh, you know, conferences and um, panel discussions, and everyone's been welcoming us and letting us videotape it, and all these things are going to be going up on the website. And as a historian, you know, a lot of people are not all that enamored with what I'm doing right now. But as a historian, I, I understand that 20 years from now, people will look back on this and say, wow, there's the first trans pride. You know, mm -hmm. we have the videotape. Mm -hmm. We can see what it was like. I always use the analogy of, of um, uh, what would it have been like if, if they had a, um, a videographer at Stonewall. 
Yeah. And they were able to document everything except for a few photographs that they throw out here and there. That's all they have. You know? Right. So it's kind of the same thing as what I see. Absolutely. What? Hey folks, it's me again. Don't mean to break up the pacing. I know, I know, I don't like that in certain conversations too, but I just want to let you know about our sponsor, our amazing, awesome sponsor, TomSlayton.com. Take it away. When you need a professional who specializes in writing, photography, or web design, contact Tom Slayton. At Tom's website, TomSlayton.com, you'll find brilliant WordPress themes, discounts and links for fantastic online services, and sage wisdom from the master himself, Tom Slayton. TomSlayton.com even features a wonderful eclectic collection of photographs seldom seen elsewhere. Visit TomSlayton.com. That's T-O-M-S-L-A-T-I-N.com. That's right, TomSlayton.com. I, you know, whenever I'm working on anything, really, uh, specifically the, the com- on the computer or the, the phone, uh, in a creative way where my brain is just going, 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 and I need a break, I need something to, to liven up the juices again, to, to get the motor running again, to, to, to stretch the brain, you might say, one of the places, because there's many of them out there in the, in the world of the internet, one of the places I like to stop is TomSlayton.com. Because, okay, I'll admit, I'm a photo junkie. I like looking at photos. Uh, so many different types of photos. And that's exactly what I find at TomSlayton.com. So if, if you just need a little brain fart or something to laugh at or something to squint your eyes at and say, what the hell? Check it out, TomSlayton.com. And like the commercial said, he's got a bunch of other stuff there, WordPress themes and, and inspirational quotes and stuff. But I'm a photo person. So that's where I'm going to share right now today. Okay, enough of that. Tom, thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Folks, check out TomSlayton.com. And let's get back to Meredith and Ellen. at Stonewall, yeah. and they were able to document everything except for a few photographs that they throw out here and there. That's all they have. You know? Right. So it's kind of the same thing as what I see. Absolutely. What, uh, what was the instigator, besides the Lambda Archives asking you to do it, what was the, the, the final turning point to make you, both of you, say, yeah, we'll do trans narratives? Actually, it, it, we went to Lambda. Meredith uh, knew that she wanted to document the uh, the trans community, and it was a just an obvious thing for us, having spent many many years um, in in film uh, filming veterans in our other business, and um, so we went to. Uh, Lambda Archives and said, we'd like to do this. And they said, oh yeah, that sounds very good. And they've been an incredible supporter ever since then. That's great. It's so wonderful to hear. Alluding to our, our video business you know, for, for the past 20 years, we've been interviewing veterans, primarily veterans of the Vietnam War, and have been, you know, basically going and, and, and interviewing them and getting... And, and, in that, I realize that we're validating their lives, and it's important. And 
that's what I can see we can do for people in the trans community. Um, you know, Caitlyn Jenner and, and uh, um, Laverne Cox, their lives are going to be validated over and over again. But it's important for just everyday people to have their lives validated because everyday people are going to connect more with it. You know? Yeah, yeah and Meredith's background has always been in social, social history. history yeah. Oh, so you're perfect for this. As far as any candidate out there, because as I've mentioned on my show previously, but to you as well, I've dabbled in video editing. I I, I can do okay. Am I great? No. It takes me a little longer than I'd like. Um, Am I just throwing a slideshow together? No. I'm taking time to edit angles and things. Um, But I couldn't do what you're doing. I, I mean, I could, but my passion's not there. For me personally, my passion is to support you because it's a fantastic thing you're doing. But the legwork, my hat's off to you. I don't don't know if I could. Thank you. I think what you're doing is equally important because I think that giving people an opportunity, both within and without the trans community, Mm -hmm. to connect on an intimate, personal level with an individual is one of the the things that, of course, we want to capture too. But yeah. you are um, you're doing something that's that I think is is commendable and difficult. Being personable, um, it's not something that everybody can do. You're right. Reaching out to people through the airwaves when you can't see them, and letting them feel the connection with you as a human being. That is, that's a, 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 an incredible talent. Thank you. Thank you for recognizing that because not everybody thinks in that way uh, outside the immediate uh, uh, content, whatever it may be, video, audio, blog, it, that the individual putting it out there is personable, uh, courageous, uh, charismatic, um, Gregarious. Uh, I mean, lots of adjectives out there. But for someone to recognize that, thank you. It makes the work even more so. I mean, people saying thank you and I like what you do, I like your show, that means a lot too. But when someone recognizes the soul of the person putting it together, which is what you just did, uh, that makes it even even greater. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, this is a passion. This is... I love this. I mean, I share. I share what I share. Some are intimate. Some are not. Uh, it's, I try to be very general to allow my audience to make their own choices. I hear something you may not have thought about. Oh, okay. Here's my take on something, and if they take a little bit away, my job's done. And then the other side, when there isn't just me on the show, interviews is to share others' stories. Specifically trans is the audience I'm after, but there's one person, it's just a matter of scheduling, uh, a straight cis male ally. Has a friend from high school that they've kept in touch over the years. He and I have been trying to set up a time to get him on the show just so, as an ally, he can have a voice. And I said, please, let's do it. So it's scheduling things. Uh, but my show is for everyone, is the way I put it out. Anyone that wants to listen and learn about whatever, take it. Free, go. 
what was your biggest challenge in the first six months to a year after starting transition? Um, I don't know if this is a challenge. I, I say that one of, biggest, one of the biggest obstacles I had to overcome was accepting the fact that I would no longer be treated and have male privilege. Um, I recognized that on the job. I recognized that in my interactions with um, males in particular, and even in some with some females, I recognized it. And so there's there's a whole other way of, of um, <clears throat> navigating when you're a woman to get what you want. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, really is. I mean, and I'm not talking about in terms of oh, you know, getting somebody to do something for you or something like that. I'm talking about on the job. If you want to, um, uh, you know, uh, grow in your career. If you want to get a, if you want to get a better position with the company, um, you can't play it the way you used to play it because you'll come off and, and they'll they'll get rid of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard, I've read, in my process of finding information, I've read a couple stories similar to that. This one had a hard time transitioning on the job, not because they weren't open to it, but their uh, 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 relationship dynamics with their coworkers. It just, it really started beating her down. That's what a lot of her blog entries were. It's just, oh, here's another day. It was horrible. So, so I don't remember details, but yeah. Um, on that same note, though, at least for me, I've noticed, uh, or I feel a little more empowered. I mean, we're talking about male privilege. I definitely feel the uh, female privilege, if that's the way we want to put it, in just my daily interactions of, of the store or just out and about, really. Can you give an example? Um, people holding doors. People uh, smiling. As they pass by, or saying hi. Well, I think those things are true. Yeah, I, I see that too. I guess that's because I'm still new in my process. Uh, that that's what's jumping out at me the most right now. Because I never got anything like that before, so it's, it's new. It's unique. But again, you, you learn what's successful for you as you know. Spent 25 years, 20, 26 years as a, as a male, and what is successful for you as a male is not going to be successful for you as a female. I mean, you'd like to think that it would, that it shouldn't make a difference, but it does. You know, it really makes a difference, particularly your interactions with um, people who are higher up than you. Yeah, and I can see that. If there was one thing that you were couple things that you could change, big thing that you could change about your journey, about your transition. Is there anything? Yes. I would have come out a lot sooner in terms of, I, I wouldn't have stayed being uh, stealth for so long. I feel like I, I lost a, a, lot of, a lot of time and, you know, it's not that I don't want to paint this picture like I was a terribly unhappy person. But I feel so much. <clears throat> excuse me. I feel so much better now that I'm fully out. 
and I wish I would have done it a lot sooner. And is that just so for the, the, the happiness that you've expressed and since you've come out to experience, have, have more time with that, you might say? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think just the, just the, the pressure that it's taken off uh, in so many little ways. But then there's also the aspect now of being able to jump into the trans community and, and find that community with your people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And there's something special about being with other trans people. Yes, there is. It's, uh, it recharges the batteries. It reminds you once again that you're not alone. It, uh, it gives you a chance to, to check in, to realize that, you know, no matter what problems you have, you know, yours are either on par or not as bad as maybe some others. And maybe some people have the worst of them all. But if you're there in that trans community, you've got that support. Uh, I, that's what keeps me coming back to the center. And that's one of the reasons I volunteer at the center. Because of, well, I call it recharging the batteries. Just reminding yourself that, uh, yeah, this is, this is the right path for me. My journey, my life, whatever. Um, what was, what, uh, in the sense of, because this is years ago now, when there was more of a gap between the, uh, the female privilege and the male privilege, was that a hard adjustment for you back then? I mean, it's hard now, but I could imagine it being worse or more challenging even then. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, many of the things that I found out that I did are same thing other trans people do. Uh, you tend to, when you first transition, at least when I did back in the 70s, you become... In, for lack of a better term, hyper-female. You know, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. is... You, you just disregard anything that's male. Everything is, is female, and you try to um, emulate the most feminine women you can you can emulate, you know? And then as time progresses, you, you kind of, like, find maybe uh, a more even um, keel for you as, as to uh, what makes me comfortable. Um, and then you start, once you become comfortable, you start to say, well, I can still go out and work with tools. It's not going to make me less of a woman because I go out and, um, you know, use power equipment. Uh, or work on the car. I know that when I first transitioned, I would have, like, had nothing to do with it because that's not what women do. Right. But as over the past 30 years, the, the, the roles of women have become less and less strict. So in that respect, it's opened that up a little bit where you're not really standing out like you used to. Right, yeah. yeah. And now with the empowerment of, of women, I mean, Home Depot caters to specifically women on the weekend for uh, uh, classes. Here, learn how to do fill in the blank. Right. You know, and it's meant specifically for the women, whatever it is. I mean, anybody can be there, but you can tell it's geared towards the, uh, the female gardener or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, that's, that's, I mean, just take trans out of the situation. That's a fantastic thing to see happen in my life, which has been that 30 plus years. You know, one of the things that, from an historical perspective, that I think is probably worth mentioning you know, it, it, I went through the, um, I'm about Meredith's age, and so I went through the, let's call it um, the women's empowerment era. Okay. Okay. 
And one of the things that I didn't know about because I wasn't experiencing it or having to, that Meredith has talked to me about and that I think is, pro- is perhaps worth mentioning, and that is that during the, the period of women's empowerment, um, there were uh, lesbian women and, gay and straight women who did not accept trans women and who did everything that they could. Not all women did this, but there were certainly a strong group of women who felt, biological women, who felt that allowing a trans woman to be a part of their movement somehow uh, made them less than. And so they turned around and slapped trans women in the face and said, get out of here. We don't want you around. We're not safe around you. All kinds of uh, stuff that really was counterproductive for the women's movement, to say mm-hmm. the least, and certainly counterproductive for trans women. I mean, this actually happened to me before um, I met Ellen. I was with, I told you, and I was in another relationship for about five years, and <clears throat> I was completely stealth, except for the person that I was in the relationship with, and we were... Um, did all the things. We went to the women's music festival. We were in, uh, you know, book chats with uh, lesbian women, and so we just hung out that way. And when I um, broke up with this woman, uh, she left the area, but I stayed in the area. And all the people that I was uh, associating with at the time, I came out to a couple of them. And after coming out to them, uh, basically everyone started to kind of fall away. Hmm. And I experienced things like, was, was told directly, we don't want you in the book club anymore. Hmm. And, you know, there, there, was, there was overt uh, discrimination. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of why I left the lesbian community. And Ellen and I went up into the mountains when I met Ellen. And we just, you know, presented ourselves up there as two lesbians and... and uh, you know, hung out with uh, basically uh, a bunch of cis people. And, and in the in the, the community that you live in, uh, it, it's a smaller community here uh, in the outskirts of San Diego. For those who don't know, uh, was there any pushback, we'll say, or any you know odd looks in being that lesbian couple in the woods? I don't think so. You know, people tend to have a tendency to think of the backcountry as being uh, very conservative. There, there certainly are conservative elements, but even among the conservative, I mean, we happen to be in a bunch of, uh, our friends back up there are pretty liberal and, and open-minded and are kind of like back-to-nature sort of people. Okay. And, you know, um, <laughs> But there are conservative people, but many of the conservative people are, uh, I guess you could classify them as libertarians, that just you do your own thing. So I don't think we've ever experienced any discrimination at all. No, uh, not in Campo, not in Julian. Yeah. In Alpine, there was a little bit of blowback when, uh, when I owned the newspaper and uh, Meredith and I became a couple uh, mm-hmm. for a very brief period of time while we st- I still owned the newspaper. There were some people who were like, oh, you're a lesbian? I don't think I really want to be around you because I'm afraid of what that people will say about me. You know, there were a few people like that, but very, very few. Yeah. And, um, and, of course, Alpine is actually a little more, it's a slightly larger population anyway. Um, but it, it, certainly in Campo and in Julian, 
It was people have, have just been very accepting. And when Meredith decided to come out, um, we uh, I thought she did a really smart thing. Uh, one of the earliest people she told in the community that we live in, which is a, is not even Julian, it's a very small, even smaller group of people. Um, we went to one of the people in the community who, let's say, is a very chatty kind of person. Okay. And um, kind of relied on her to spread the word a little bit. Okay. And um, it's 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 been very, people have been very welcoming, very easy to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, not even really a lot of questions unless we elicit. Right. You know, um, there's. I think there's just a feeling of everybody has a right to their to their privacy and to be who they are. In some instances, there's a, there's the um, oh well, tell us about that. There's a few people like that, mm-hmm. but most people are just like well, keep humming along. How did you come out? I mean, aside from telling that chatty Kathy, you'll say. Well, I guess we went over and told our, our neighbors first. Uh, two people in particular whom yeah. we've been close with. Yeah. Um, and so we went to them first. It was like Meredith has never wanted to take her time with anything. Once she's made up her mind, full speed ahead is the only way to go. So we went to the neighbors that we were good friends with, that yeah. we socialized. We were safe people that we told, right? Yeah, we, we okay. but you know, there's always that. Uh-huh. Gonna, but they were they were wonderful. And then after that, basically, Meredith came out on her Facebook page. Yeah. Okay. Um, and just, I mean, her relatives had, of course, always known. Oh, yeah. But, um, once you came out on Facebook, I don't. There was there was very little blowback there okay. that I can recall. No, nothing, nothing that we know of. No, that's great. That's yeah. great. And you, you didn't lose any friends or anything when you. No, but okay. you got to remember. I think it's a lot easier when somebody has already transitioned. Yeah. Somebody's used to you a certain way, right. and here you're just telling them that. Well, you know, I really like chocolate, not vanilla. I right, mean, yeah. You know? you're, you're sharing, like I said before, right. you're just sharing a bit of history. Right. And, yeah. and nothing's changed for them. Right. Now, it's a lot harder for people who actually transition and go to, you know, and, and mm-hmm. they present it as a, as a male or a female, and then they go and, and, and then present themselves and, and, and the people that are there. Um, I think that that's a much more difficult path. Yeah, in my first... Mm, nine months of coming out there was a Halloween party and uh, well it was a birthday party and then again at the same house uh, a Halloween party and in, we've been to that particular family's parties for years now and they open and receptive and, and uh, uh, had no problems with my coming out but some of their party attendees did and I found out at the Halloween party that two out of the people that were there were not invited back. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah, they are wonderful, well, I'm really glad wonderful people. They really are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. I mean, I left Vermont because I didn't want to deal with family. I've going through um, what I know that a lot of other people, I mean, I guess the upside of, of transitioning, let's say, in front of your family is that you hopefully could have the support of at least some people in your family. 
Um, but the downside is there too. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, I just wanted to get away and not have to deal with that. Well, you know, Meredith's parents, again, we're talking about the 70s here. Mm -hmm. And so her parents were adults in the 50s and um, just could not understand and didn't want to understand and were upset and, you know, you can imagine the whole range of things. Meredith's siblings, her two younger sisters, were t 12 years younger yes. than she is. So it, they're really, they were little kids. Mm -hmm. There wasn't much to, there wasn't anything to really explain to them at the time. So I think that the downside of all that it was been a, a, a very big gulf with her family. Um, some of which has, has been overcome and some of which has yeah, not. Yeah, even today, even today, he's still fighting the battles with the family. I think, I think that's a very common uh, narrative with mm -hmm. uh, trans people. Yeah. Um, like, I've, like I said in the interview with your uh, trans narratives, I have two uh, uh, nieces that uh, nothing bad, nothing vulgar, uh, nothing, you know, against me, but they don't want to really have much to do with me. They'll see me at family functions, which happens every five years or so, and they're okay with that. And for me, I don't see them that often, so I'm okay with that too. Yeah, it still hurts. Yeah, it's bothersome because that's family, but if they're just going to be that way, then they're just going to be that way, and there's nothing we can do and we can do everything but there's nothing we can do to them over the edge I think the the hardest part with that the, the closer your family is in terms of um, in Meredith's case her parents and her two, her two sisters um, so the more of the nuclear fam part mm -hmm. of the nuclear family mm -hmm. that is not accepting or, or just doesn't understand or whatever it is the harder that is and when I when I watch uh, on Facebook, um, other younger trans people just having that, beginning that conversation and having that conflict with their parents, it just breaks my heart to see it because I can see on the other end, years later, how, how destructive that is to everybody involved. And, and how it doesn't have to be that way. Right. You know? um, do you think now that we're in the big trans movement, I mean, we've got uh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner and Laverne Cox and Janet Mock and Transparent and Orange is the New Black and the new one on Netflix, Sense8, and I think it's Boy Meets Girl. I don't remember the, the, exactly. It's all in my queue to watch. But now that it's more in the spotlight, has that affected your family at all? No. Yes. yes, yes, it has. I mean, I think, you know, what's interesting is that my sisters in particular, um, the Caden. It, it, it's it's funny, you know, you try explaining things to them over and over and over again and and you, you don't know if they're getting it or not getting it, um, but they watched the, uh, the Caitlyn Jenner interview and both of my sisters said, 
wow, we get it, you know? And it has something to do with, with that, um, just the way it's presented on television. And, um, you know, Ellen and I were both watching it kind of like, you know, is this going to be bad or good or, yeah, or yeah. whatever? And I guess, you know, in a way it was kind of commercial, right? Commercialized. Yeah. yeah. And we thought, uh, but when I talked to my sisters, they thought it was good and they were talking to their friends. And, and so uh, I, I really do think it's a good thing. Now, what's going to happen this summer with her reality show is another, you know, trans people back to the 40s or something. Let's hope not. The only thing I hope with Caitlyn Jenner, and I remember seeing Bruce when he was the big, big shit (laughs) from 76 to, well, basically 86. A good decade there, if not even later. Uh, being, you know, walk-ons on TV shows, uh, Phil Donahue or whatever that was, and not that he was on that, but that style of show, and then all the late-night talk shows. I mean, specifically, I think it was Silver Spoons with Ricky Schroeder. I believe he had a walk-on on that that I remember, totally remember, and he was, you know, stay off drugs, stay in school, whatever the message was at the time. And since he has always had that positive energy put forth, at least that I can see, I'm hoping now that she is on her path, that that continues and that it is still in a positive light and doesn't, um, as you said, set us back 50 years. Well, you know, Ellen, Ellen points out, and I hope this is not true, that that um, all the notoriety that trans people are receiving now is kind of like the flavor of the month. It feels and, that way on occasion. And, and, and maybe society is just going to move on and, and we'll be back in the, uh, the, the shadows again or something. I hope not. Sure, but, you know. I hope not. I don't think so. With the, <clears throat> with, the, with the way that Hollywood is jumping on the bandwagon with Orange is the New Black now in, what, season three or four, I think. Uh, Transparent being renewed for another two or three seasons, if I remember correctly. Uh, And everything just popping up. I I don't see it dying down that quickly. I I, I don't. Uh, I hope you're right. I hope so, too. I hope so, too, because, I mean, even if that's the mainstream, you still have... Everything on the internet, all the vlogs and blogs and trans narratives and podcasts and things, it's out there and I don't think it's going away. And the reason I don't think it's going away is stealth isn't necessarily the goal anymore. More and more trans people are saying, yes, I am trans. You know, I was born as a fill in the blank and I am now a fill in the blank, whatever. And because of that, I don't see it going away anytime soon. At least I hope so. But, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that uh, it doesn't become a media circus with uh, Caitlin's thing. I hope she keeps it tactful. It's, it's the only thing I really hope for with that. Because the exposure is going to be there no matter what. It's just keep it positive. Um, and this goes to, to both of you. If you had anything to share with someone that is just now starting to transition or questioning their gender identity or, you know, thinking, you know, maybe I am uh, transgender and want to transition. If there's anything that you could share to an individual like that, what would you share? 
You know, <clears throat> that's really hard because I hate to use the cliche, but, but everybody's story is so different. And, and it's like you were alluding to before, there are many different aspects of trans in, in terms of how people feel about it, you know. Um, so I would hate to give anybody advice and say, well, this is what I think you should do, or, or shouldn't do, or you should be out, or you shouldn't be out, or you should, you know, confront your parents or not confront your parents, or talk to your wife, because for every person it's going to be, it, it's, there's going to be an individual thing. I guess if I were doing it today, I would take advantage of the internet like everybody else. I would go to the center and, and go to these these groups and check them out and listen and learn and, um, you know, do it that way. I'm, I'm not so sure I would go see, necessarily go see a psychiatrist today, you know, because I've heard so many horror stories. Yeah. And, and so I don't, I don't know if that's a safe thing to do anymore. But I certainly know that um, that going to a place like the center and being with other other group of trans people, you're not going to agree with all of them. You're not going to even connect with most of them. But you're going to learn. Yeah, you know, um, unlike Meredith, I never have trouble giving advice. <laughs> and I guess I would say, I think this would be, in some ways, it's the hardest thing, but it's also the most important. I think. And that is, don't let yourself get washed away in the in the tsunami of your of, of your times. Hold on to who you know yourself to be. And when you're questioning who you are, like Meredith says, go get information. It's out there to be had. Listen to what's within you. Listen to what's going on around you. And when you, when you catch hold and know who you are, then let that, to the best of your ability, guide you in what you do and how you do it. Because it's like Merit said, everybody's journey is, is their own. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's wonderful. Because in my youth, well, late teens, early 20s, people said, go find yourself. And yeah, I kind of understood what that meant. But if I'd heard the words you just shared, I think I would have found myself a lot earlier. Just because it makes so much more sense. I can, I can grab on to what your, your words versus go find yourself. So that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you. Well, we're going to go into how I always uh, end the interviews, and that is with the uh, Bernard Cavot questions, which most people are familiar with through the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio with James Lipton. It's the ten in-depth questions that he asks his guests at the end of every episode. And since there's two guests, we're going to flip-flop back and forth as to who answers a question first. That way everybody has the advantage. So Meredith gets the uh, first question first. What is your favorite word? Well, I'd hate to say this now because people are going to say, oh, you're just saying this, but I really like the word trans. I never liked the word transgender, 
I always thought it was a bit hard, but I really like telling people I'm trans, so I must like the word. Okay. And Ellen, what is your favorite word? Happy. All right. Well, Ellen gets to answer the next one first, and that is, what is your least favorite word? Well, what springs to mind first is the word conflict. Mm. That's a good one. That's a good one. Meredith, what is your least favorite word? No. Ah, yes. Yes, yes, I understand that one. Okay, Meredith. Uh, next question is, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, home run in the ninth inning to win the game. What do they call that? A walk-off home run. A walk-off home run. Okay. That turns you on creatively, spiritually, and emotionally. Okay. Oh, you should see me after it. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> I want to go out and like, write a book. Uh, okay. Ellen, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Reading. Reading. Uh, any particular subject matter? In general, fiction. Okay. And if you couldn't get fiction, what would be your next... Um, I guess if I couldn't get fiction, well, it's a hard one because there's yeah, there's yeah. Uh, so many different kinds of fiction. But I would say poetry. Then. Poetry. Okay. Okay. All right. Now you get the next question first, and that is, what turns you off, creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Television. Ah, that is profound. Okay, I have to ask why. Um, I suppose because it has a tendency to shut you down. I, I agree. I agree. And Meredith, what turns you off creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Reading the comments on the internet. Yeah, yeah I don't do that anymore. I haven't done that in years. I can't help it. Neither can my wife. I keep telling her, don't read them, don't read them, don't read them, and she does. And then she gets upset, and I have to tell her, don't read them. Okay. Uh, oh, question number five, and Meredith gets it first. Uh, depending on who the person is, usually this is one of the favorite questions. What is your favorite curse word? I guess fuck. Universal word right there. Yeah. It's like aloha. It can be yeah. used for so many things. Okay, and Ellen, what is your favorite curse word? Uh, sadly, I have to say the same. Fuck that, that's okay. <laughs> we both are, both are that way. It's, it's a multi-purpose word. I mean, I hate the connotations that have come with it, but it's a beautiful word to use. It's the, the, the uh, fricative in the beginning and the hard consonant at the end. It, oh, it's great. Uh, okay, so Mary, uh, Ellen... What sound or noise do you love? Oh, what sound or noise? I, I guess I'd have to say um, uh, running water out in nature. Like a babbling brook? Yes. Yes, I know that well. Years ago, my father and I, when he and I went camping, he brought a tape recorder. And we walked up to the creek that was near the campground late at night, like... 10 or 11 o'clock, he put the cassette tape out, and it was one of those you know, 90 minute cassettes, it was 45 minutes on one side of just Babbling Brook, and he would play that at night to fall asleep. 
Uh, so, well, I, I, I was brought up with that. Uh, okay, so Meredith, what sound or noise do you love? Um, I generally wake up pretty early in the morning, usually uh, maybe 4, 4.30. Um, I'm waking up, and it, it varies on the time of the year, but right now, usually at around 4.30, the first birds start to come out, and you can start to hear them chirp. And to me, it's always like, I wait for that, I hear that, I listen to them for about 10 minutes, and then I'm getting up. You know, so it's really nice. Maybe it's just a signal I'm alive again or something. You know, I made it through the night, I'm not sure, but it's very comforting. Yeah, I, I, I am an early riser as well, and I hear those first morning birds between 4.30 and 5. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, Meredith, what sound or noise do you hate? Wow. There can be lots of sounds or noises I hate. Oh, yeah. I'm very, very um, into that. But any sound where I feel it's a, it's a human-generated sound, whether it's somebody playing the radio, playing the television, playing, but somebody playing it so loud that I can't concentrate. Where it pulls you out of your immediate uh, environment. Yeah, I agree. I don't like that. When, I, when I'm driving down the street... And I'm listening to my radio at a normal level, not cranking it to jam with the tunes, just a normal level. And somebody comes up next to me and drowns out my radio through my closed windows and AC. It's too loud. It's too loud. Okay, Ellen, what sound or noise do you hate? That's just such a tough one. I guess, um, I suppose any sound that... Oh, there you go. There, you, there we go. <laughs> That's an alarm. That's an alarm. That was an alarm. Um, I'd say any sound that that precedes um, uh, an exhaust smell. Ah, like a backfire yeah, yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those aren't pleasant. Uh, okay. So Ellen gets this one. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt if you could? Um, I'd say, uh, well, I've always thought, I, uh, you know, I would have liked to have been able to paint. Uh, the canvas paint? Yes. Okay, not like murals or anything like that? Uh, any kind of painting. Any kind of painting, aside yeah. from like house painting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> okay. Not okay. house painting. <laughs> All right. And Meredith, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Marine biologist. A marine biologist. Wow. Okay. Ever since um, George Costanza pulled the golf ball out of the uh, blowhole. <laughs> you are so bad. I'm... <laughs> Shame on you. Yeah, okay. I don't... It's for all you Seinfeld fans. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't watch Seinfeld. But okay. Your audience will know. Yes, they will. They'll be laughing right now. Okay, good. <laughs> um, all right, Meredith, you get this question first. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, wow. Um, I always tell people that any, any job is, is, is a good job, you know, so in that respect, um, there, there's nothing that I don't think that I would not like to do. Um, perhaps uh, being on a, um, on a line on a conveyor belt where I'm counting bra straps or something, you know, I mean, that I would get tired of doing it. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense. A repetitive thing. Yeah. Okay. Ellen, what profession would you not like to do? 
Well, I, I, I strongly dislike... Um, I would not want to be a trapeze artist because I hate looking down. You know, I hate heights. I, I hate heights. Thank yeah. you. So, tra- I, trapeze artists would uh, okay. be out. Okay. I don't like unenclosed heights either. I, I, I'm okay in an elevator. I'm okay in a high-rise building. I don't go near the edge, but unenclosed, not going to happen. Not going to happen. There's no reason to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Um, <laughs> Got it. Okay. Last question, and Ellen gets it first. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Hmm. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty much of an atheist, so I I don't think that could could ever happen. Well, that's why the question starts with if. Um, I I guess... uh, Get ready to edit out your all the blank. That's space. okay. That's all right. Um, welcome to the family. That's a great answer. From an atheist, that's a great answer. Okay, Meredith. Last question: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well, since I'm an atheist too. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think that. Um, uh, I would be, uh, God would say, surprise! <laughs> <laughs> that and all your dogs and cats yes. are right inside. All your pets. Yes. All the pets you've ever loved. That would get me to believe in God if, if, all, if, I, if they really were all up there. If I could have all my dogs and cats with me. Yeah, I miss mine. I miss mine too. Well, thank you so much. Your website is transnarrative.org, transnarratives, plural, plural, .org. All right. And uh, would it be the best way to people to reach you? Would that be through me? Or if they can reach through me. They can go on to the Trans Narratives uh, Facebook page, reach, uh, reach me there. Um, Trans Elders Facebook yeah. page, too. Um, Meredith.Fazina at gmail.com. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on my show. I really appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Definitely. Uh, Thank you, Meredith. Thank you, Ellen, so very much. I, I, I don't know if my thanks, saying thanks to you is enough. It's, uh... It's quite a, quite an honor to not only be part of your trans narratives, that's an honor in and of itself, but to have the two of you sharing your amazing story and journey together to where you are now, I find that so inspirational. So again, thank you so very much. Listener feedback. Time for listener feedback. Uh, <laughs> this one's going to be real quick and short because uh, uh, just my production schedule. I haven't haven't been able to go through emails and check out the the Facebook page enough to see if there's anything I want to share yet. 
So, but this I do know. And by the time this publishes, this has happened, oh, I don't know, about three, four weeks ago. Addison, thank you. You warmed my heart when you, over a course of a couple days, shared not only the, the, the show, meaning you went to iTunes and got the link, went to Stitcher and got the link. You, you shared the Patreon page. And that's, that's just awesome. And the way you shared it with what you said blew me away. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I wanted to let you know here on the show, in my own words, in my own voice, how taken back I was by that. Not just because you shared it. Not just because you've shared a number of things that, that I've either, you know, posted or said on the show or whatever. But you said that I have helped you in your process, in your journey, and that, folks, ladies, gentlemen, that is the reason I started this show. There was two reasons. I've said this before, so bear with me if you've heard it before. Two reasons I started the show. Number one, to get my story out there in my own words so I can get it out of my body, work through it, work with it, enjoy it, understand it, understand me more, get in touch with my inner self that, I don't know about you folks that are later in transitioning, but took me so long. I was in touch with it back when I was a little kid, and I got somewhere along the lines, I got derailed. And so being more in touch with it now is just amazing. So that was one reason. The second reason is on the the hope, the chance, the Gosh, I, I, I hope somebody finds my show and, and gets something from it. And you and others that I've mentioned in the past on the show, you do get it. it that, to know that part of my journey is helping you with yours, that makes this podcast to me worthwhile. That's why I continue to think of different things, fun things, crazy things, sincere things, stuff that we don't want to think about, stuff that we should think about every week to share with you. You, not just you, Addison, but you, the listener that's listening right now. That's why we're here. So again, Addison, wow, thank you so much for sharing that Patreon page uh, post that was there and the words that you said that... That warmed me for a couple days, which now is, you know, a few weeks ago. But I remember I was on cloud nine for probably about three different days. Just every time I thought about, you know, the, the show and what's going on. Oh, yeah, Addison shared that. And, and Emily Kay wrote that email. And, and Tom said this. And Becky said that. And Candace did this. And, and Phaedra D said that. I mean, so many of you out there that I love. I feel like it's Romper Room, for those of you that remember Romper Room. <laughs> but you know what I mean. And so, Addison, thank you. I, I really, I, I can't thank you enough for what you did. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. mackerel we're there we made it we're at the end of the show we did it folks we did it we got through it we did it shout out to meredith and ellen thank you so very much for being on my show i i appreciate it and, and meredith your story 
Uh, honestly, they should make a movie of the week out of your personal story. Obviously, Ellen's going to be part of it too, but it's but you're the star of this because it's your you're the trans person in the relationship, so it's your journey, it's your story. That's my feeling. So thank you, and Ellen, you were just beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your life and story. Uh, of course, Tom Slayton, thank you so much for sponsoring the show. TomSlayton.com, check it out. And of course, for all of you listening, I think I saved that enough. I love you returning listeners, you binge listeners, you that tell me that you're doing it. Because I know there's people that don't tell me. <laughs> and then the new listeners that, that, that are joining us every week. So welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. And now, as we say adieu into the next week, uh, next episode... Next episode, ironically, from our listener feedback, was suggested by Addison. It's an episode specifically geared for non-trans people, non-binary folks, if, if you want to loop that in there as well, who are interested, and I'm using that word loosely, in us, us as a trans community, as trans people. And I mean interested in us on a few levels, romantically, to just a simple ally. So we're going to talk about that, and I'm hoping by the time we get that episode together, we, the royal we, me, <laughs> gets that episode together, we're going to, uh, it's going to be one of those episodes that we share with the cis community. So that's my goal for next week. As I've said before, I'm always looking for topics. I'm always looking for guests. Come at me, changes in latitudes podcast at gmail.com, or check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash changes in latitudes podcast. And now, as Jimmy Buffett says, if I couldn't laugh, I just would go insane. If we couldn't laugh, we just would go insane. If we weren't all crazy, we would go insane. So, stay crazy, everyone. I'll see you next week. Listening to Changes in Latitudes, a transgender experience. I'd love to hear from you, so let me know what you think or what you'd like to hear about by emailing me at changesinlatitudespodcast at gmail.com or by leaving a comment on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash changes in latitudes podcast or at the website changes in latitudes podcast.blogspot.com. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and please leave us reviews and star ratings. Now, wait for it. Here it comes. Disclaimer time! Disclaimer time! I am not a doctor nor a lawyer, and I certainly do not pretend to be one. I am a trans woman who began her transition later in life. I am here to discuss my life, so I take no responsibility for your decisions based on my personal thoughts and experiences. If you are thinking about transition or are questioning your gender identity, first, please know that you are not alone in your thoughts and questions. Second, please seek the advice of a qualified gender therapist or at the very least a local support group. If you're having difficulty finding a qualified professional in your area, I suggest reaching out to the closest LGBT center near you. And lastly, please remember, always question the source when researching information on the internet. 
All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less than complete reproduction requires permission from the host. Copyright 2015 by me, Sabrina Miller. Thanks for listening. Hey, man. It's time for the outtakes, man. It's not a clip show, this, folks. No, 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 no. But I said something along the lines of, hey, every episode, every episode. <laughs> hey, every podcast. Uh, but we're not going to do it this episode. Also, we're going to skip the tap the... Blah, blah, blah. Thank you, good night, and remember...